competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey folks, welcome to an episode of the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul Murphy, your host. I'm joined by Nick Natavati. Hello everybody, how you doing? And Casey Glenn. Hello everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to speak to you uh, here in part one. We're going to be talking about uh, the army list that you chose, the how well you did at recent events, some of the strategies you used, army composition approach to the game and everything else. Uh, but I'm really excited to announce this is part one of a two-part conversation, largely going to be about Blood Angels. <laughs> You've always waited for this one, Paul. <laughs> Look, they're doing well. And, you know, of course, I'm happy to see that and get an opportunity to talk to them. But, you know, while you know, some of the army lists, there's a few different ways you can build the army list. And we're seeing a trend towards a certain configuration. We're going to talk a little bit about it, but it also just kind of gives you options. Can't wait to unpack all that stuff. Uh, but again, this is part one of a two-part episode, like I, like I mentioned. Part one is here for everybody, and part two is for the Patreon subscribers, and there'll be more information about that as we get along the show. But we, in part one, we're going to talk about you know the list and you know what we just talked about. Part two, we're going to get more nitty-gritty into the actual matchups, and you know what's cool about that is we really kind of get to diagnose where the meta is going, what people are seeing, and talk you know real more about the granularity about how the list functions in many given different scenarios, where in this part, we're going to be talking about the list and list choices and what maybe gets you to the table. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited. super excited to pack it. Casey, how are you doing? I'm doing well this evening. How about you guys? I'm doing great. Yeah, man. Uh, it's, it's a good time and, and even more excited again about the subject matter of what we're talking about. So what event did you just participate in? Uh, the Winter Assault in Boston, Massachusetts. Tell us and that was like a, a slobber knocker of a tournament too. Lots of uh, very potent players there. Absolutely, it was a great five game tournament, um, and each one of my opponents was a lot of fun to play. I heard you even got the chance to hang out with Mister Blake Law over from our Unbroken episodes. Absolutely, hanging out with him, uh, kind of shooting around how army lists work and everything like that was a lot of fun. Uh, well, let's, without further ado, let's just jump into it. Let's tell us about your list that you that you took. Absolutely. So um, it is a Vanguard and Patrol Detachment. Um, we can start off with that Vanguard here. Um, for the HQ slot, I have uh, Lamartes. Um, and then we're going into the Elite slot. I've got a unit of five Death Company, all with uh, jetpacks and power swords. I've got a unit of Death Company as well. That is a unit of five with jump packs and thunder hammers. I then have a Sanguinary Ancient with a sword, the Relic Banner, and the Soul Warden Strat, uh Warlord Trait. Then I've got two units of Sanguinary Guard, um, one kitted out with swords, one kitted out with axes, and then a five-man squad um, with a little bit of a mix of both. Then for my patrol detachment, I've got uh, Commander Dante, uh, Sanguinary Priest with Rites of War on it. Um, then for the troops, I have an Incursor squad, and I have another Death Company unit with jump packs and Thunder Hammers, a Scout squad uh, with bolt pistols, a Eliminary squad with uh, those Laz fusels and the uh, bolt carbine there, and a Whirlwind to finish it off. Uh, you got a Landspeeder Storm in, in there, right, as well? Yep, absolutely. Sorry about that. Someone's got to drive those scouts around. It's there for something. It dies pretty quickly, but it's great for scoring points. 
Uh, the scouts are an interesting choice. We haven't we haven't seen those taken in a list in a long time. And you also went uh, full on five thunder hammers on the death company, where we normally kind of see folks going with with four. Um, are are those choices that you made? Was that because you had some points left over? Is that like what's going on with the death, with that particular unit of death company with the five thunder hammers? Um, so with a lot of my list here, it is trying to get into combat quickly um, and kill a unit pretty quickly as well. So with that, those Thunder Hammers, I wanted to make sure that I kill that unit on the first try um, and don't get stuck in combat because especially with Death Company, they can't fall back So and they lose a lot of buffs when they're not charging. So I want to get in there, get in there quick, kill that unit and move on to the next. It's The, the entire unit you go spec'd out there is 180 points and it can, it can basically punch into anything. It punches well above its weight. That unit could kill you know, a, th- a point three times its point value if uh, in the right situation. So when I'm looking at the list, I'm seeing three big bricks of sanguinary guard, a unified death company with hammers. All this is kind of standard issue blood angels. And then we get into like the deviations, which you get the scout storm, you've got the whirlwind, the eliminators. What are all these random, seemingly random, I should say? I'm sure there's very deliberate choices behind it. What are all these choices doing for you um so we could start with the land speeder storm um that and the scouts that go inside of it are great for scoring that relentless assault um guaranteeing it turn one but i actually found a lot of use for it holding back on that turn one and waiting until a couple turns into the game putting it into a corner where it's very hard for the opponent to get to and scoring me a lot of points on relentless assault there um the Whirlwind is also a great choice. Um, it denies Overwatch when I need it against those ever-prevalent uh, flamers and demons. I mean, it also allows me to pick a unit and make it fight last, which is fantastic. Especially when my whole army is melee, I need to be controlling that melee phase as much as possible. Definitely. Did you find you use that strat offensively or defensively more? Kind of like preemptively doing it on a unit so when it charges into you, it's fighting last, or doing it so you can get multiple engagements going without having to worry about the interrupt stratagem? Um, more for that, um, for either engaging into multiple units. I also found it very helpful to, since it goes all the way into my next command phase, to tag a unit that my opponent would be using to either interact with my death company that I would send charging in turn one or turn two. Um, so they would either have to overcommit with more units or leave that death company, uh, alive or killing that same unit that they were engaged with. Mm-hmm. So it was actually just more to make them make hard choices and keep them making hard choices throughout the game. So with the uh, with the whirlwind that makes perfect sense. What about these eliminators? Uh, eliminators um, and the incursors are both great because they uh, can infiltrate up that map, get near those midfield objectives, and start threatening them on turn one. And the eliminators are great just because they have high damage shots or high strength shots with damage three, um, which is fantastic. I used to play a lot of Eldar, so kind of having that fire and fade ability with them was fantastic. Um, and if you put them into cover, they're actually pretty tanky and hard to remove from shooting, uh, which turned out to be very helpful in a lot of my games there. Yeah. Uh, so with the, the, I want to talk about the incursors too, because that's kind of, you we're seeing, that seems to be maybe a legacy choice and maybe it's a choice because you had the models, but what do the incursors serve for you? And it, is that, is that the case? Yep. So those incursors infiltrating up the, um, up the field there. Uh, was entirely the reason I picked them. I wanted something to kind of bait my opponent into my threat range of all my jump pack units, either that be the death car, uh, the death company, or the sanguinary guard there. So something to kind of put out there into the midfield, get those objectives early, and force my opponent into me instead of hanging in the backfield. And of course, I mean, a, you know, a choice between the incursors or the infiltrators. Mm-hmm. 
Honestly, I just have the incursor model, so that's, that's there we go. Way. That's where I was heading. Yep. That's uh, that's what it seems like. <laughs> but but I'm just curious as to which is a fine choice again. But more more trying to root down to the like with the origin of the list here. How did you get that read through a podcast through through like through the internet, <laughs> dude? It could be look. There was people take incursors before, but I think as we as the demons start to become more and more pervasive and, and work their way into like Thousand Suns list, uh, the infiltrators point wise, I think there are a couple more points and. And not everyone has either either found the model time, hobby time. There's a little bit of a hobby lag, or they haven't found the points in their list yet. Casey, what do you think? You like these? Would you rather have had eliminators after playing this event? Uh, incur- um, uh, infiltrators. Infiltrators. Yeah. So uh, many eaters. Would, yeah, absolutely, I get a little confused myself sometimes on this. But um, would first love to have more eliminators in. Um, I wish they were in a troop slot, but I understand why they cannot be for the. Cursors, like I said, had the models. I uh, just kind of love them being up that midfield um, on turn one there. And it turns out that that uh, not being able to modify ballistic skill is pretty helpful there. And they give me just some enough shots to clear some chaff if I ever need to as well. I think they can absorb like a wound or something on the first hit, or is that the other? I can't. They, all the all the the I words and the and the naders <laughs> kind of blend in for me too, even being a space brain player. So I completely understand. But uh, you know, again, just just curious about the choices we unpack this. So when I look at uh, good, I was going to say when I look at your list. It looks like Blood Angel stuff to me. Plus, you got all these other tech choices. But all these other tech choices add up, right? You know, you have Eliminators at 75, Whirlwind at 125, Scouts and a Storm at another 120. That's like 320 points of stuff where you could have had your Infiltrators, you could have had more Death Company to help out your um, Fury of the Lost or whatever secondary that is, more character support. There's a lot of things you could take to help be a hammer with your Blood Angel army. At what point, I guess, did you feel like enough is enough and you want more tools? And then why those tools specifically? Absolutely. So with uh, three units of Death Company plus the Martes um, and then the Sanguinary Guard bricks, I felt that if I was going to be going against something that I couldn't break with that, I was going to have a whole lot more problems versus that list than whether or not these kind of small little tech changes here um, were able to give me a little bit more power there. But they ended up kind of drawing in my opponent um, because one of the big things with Blood Angels is trying to get into combat, make that charge there. So anything I can get my opponent to come closer to me, um, that's mostly why those uh, troop choices and eliminators are there. And that uh, whirlwind, like we talked about before, ignoring that overwatch and making fight last is pretty helpful in a lot of those matchups there. So how does the how do all these tech choices like help get your opponent to come towards you? Absolutely. So being able to infiltrate in the uh, eliminators and incursors there, probably about six inches from those midfield objectives makes it so that they need to make a choice turn one, that they need to either come and deal with those units, or I'm going to take the midfield for pretty much free and trash units there, or they can let me have the midfield there, or they can come in and try and remove those units. And as we talked about before, the incursors and those eliminators are pretty tanky to range fire if they're in cover. So sometimes they need to get in there with some melee to really dig them out of those positions. So the idea here is that you start the game with your infiltrated eliminators or your incursors already on the midfield objectives. And your opponent has to deal with that in some capacity. So that often means, especially if you're on a site, charging you off those objectives so that you can use your that as a point of attack for the rest of your Blood Angel armies to jump on, get a trade war going, and, and kind of launch up the table. Are you relatively patient with your Blood Angel army up until that kind of that point in the game? Um, when I started off with, uh, no. But, uh, uh, I love that answer. <laughs> Just yeah, no, but, not at all. <laughs> but most of the time, though, now, um, I have to force myself on turn one and turn two to stay put 
because I really want that com um, assault doctor to be active for my whole army there. So initially, no, I was not very patient and that's why I was losing games. But once I learned to be a little bit more patient and wait until that turn two or turn three go button, I started to win a lot more games, especially with all of my jump pack models moving that 14 inches there and then a plus one to charge. Uh, once they kind of got into that threat range, it was all over for my opponents there. Paul, what do you think about that? Patient Blood Angels. Yeah, well, look, sometimes, you know, especially in turn one, you know, we found that you kind of want to set it up. Like your question earlier about how do you uh, convince your opponents to come cl close to you is that, you know, sometimes they don't have an option. They got to figure they they, they want to do something. They know if you they play into your Blood Angel game, in case me, you know, back me up or refute this, then, you know, you, they're going to find themselves on the wrong end of some charges and they want to try to feel like they've got some, some power and agency in figuring that, that game out. Absolutely. And I feel during a lot of my games, when I set up my Thunderhammer death company right on the line here, let them know that I have a pregame move with them moving pretty quickly. Um, and then another move, if I get that first turn, um, they have a choice to make. If they're either setting up right on the line to be able to come kind of contest me for those midfield objectives, or are they way back in their deployment zone? And if they deploy way back in their deployment zone, I've already started off the game with a pretty good advantage. And that's because of the threat they project, right? The moving before the game, then moving again, then charging something. Yep, absolutely. I'm going to get that strategy. Yeah, good you. times. I'm going yep, to mispronounce it every time here, but that strategy is fantastic, and it lets me pick any death company and pregame move them um, up to the 12 or 14 inches there, which is fantastic. Gotcha. Let's talk about the Sanguinary Guard because they're kind of a, uh, a unit that, everyone, look, everyone knows that they are flying 2 plus A Marines. And they hit hard in combat, but there are they do have options. You got axes, you got swords, you know, um, you got guns. What are these options? How do you kill them? I mean, you say when you guard hit stuff, it dies. What does it matter what these options are? <laughs> well, you know, again, the the game is uh, evolving. It's this ecosystem that's flowing in and out of itself, and so you Maybe know, I, I like looking at perspective. This. Yeah, and so with your 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 choices here, and I, I do like it how you've got them kind of broken out into. Um, yeah, you got two units of axes here, one unit of swords, but you're not supporting any of the the gun options. Is is that how'd you come to that decision? So with the um I wanted one unit of axes, one unit of swords, and kind of then kind of a five-man uh Swiss Army knife wherever I needed to use it for. Um the axes are great because it gives you that additional strength. So if you're versus those T5 models, you can still wound them on three. And then with the Blood Angels chapter tactic, you are wounding them on twos, which is fantastic. Um, against a lot of my previous games against a buddy of mine that plays Blood Angels, I used to play uh, T5 Necrons against him just to mess up with that plus one to wound strat quite often. So I know how much that hurts their efficiency. Uh, so having a high strength one, a high AP one, and then a Swiss Army knife unit um, allowed me to kind of deal with whatever my opponent threw at me. Uh, so with the, with the Angelus bolt guns, keeping them all kind of kind of basic there, uh, mm -hmm. did you feel like you had enough punch to get through? You know things like bloodthirsters and whatever. Yep, I took those a lot um, just for the extra chaff clearing. Um, it never came up in a lot of my games here, but I was kind of aware that while not taking chain swords on the death company, um, and kind of having smaller units here, um, like assault marines or anything like that, that was a weak spot in the army. So I wanted something to be able to clear out chaff units if I needed to, to get to more high priority units. And those uh, Angelus bolt guns are fantastic at doing that. I'm glad you brought up the death company there. It's like you, you've got 
uh, you know, the, with the death company, all the power swords, like a full unit yep. of power swords. Now, by the way, I also very much like the fact that you have these units that you don't have to guess on the stats. You get to roll a lot of dice, you know, they all attacks are consistent and there's a, there's a lot of value attributed to that during the course of a multi-round, maybe multi-day event. Uh, but let's talk about those power swords in the death company because you don't see that very often. Yep, and I think that might be a holdover, as um, I was uh, explaining a little bit earlier, is I used to be a Necron player. Um, so kind of having, especially a Novak Necron player, so having that high AP is just kind of where my uh, comfort zone is. Uh, so having those high AP uh, power swords there, uh, fantastic to just chop through some uh, tough armor units. Plus the power sword brings those uh, death company up to uh, strength five, which means that they're wounding everything in the game on at least fours at, at worst there. Yeah, winning stuff on fours is really not that bad when you're trying to swing into vehicles, especially at AP4. Is that just so you have like an option to clear chaff out instead of, and you have a cheaper unit to go send instead of double hammers? Yep, absolutely. And um, most of my games, I use that uh, Power Sword Company as the first one that would go into the enemy line. Um, just something, I would pick a target that I know I could kill with those Power Swords, um, send them in there to score some uh, Fear of the Lost points, and then probably trade out for an additional point on that as well. We'll get to your secondaries in just a bit, but usually I feel like if you're going to take Fury of the Loss, you'd probably want three squads of Death Company, and you've kind of just skimped out on going two for it. Has that ever been a problem for you? Uh, nope. So I have uh, three Death Company squads and then Lamarte. So I had oh, uh, sorry, I four. missed your list. Yep. Last Death Company squad is all the way down in that patrol detachment, but um, took four just because of the same reason that you mentioned there is having that consistent consistency uh, was very needed for this list here. Nice. Well, let's let's hop right into it, I guess. Um, actually, before we hop into those secondaries, let's talk about your character loadout because this is always a part for the Blood Angel players where everyone's got their own take. Like the chaplain on a bike, is he in there? Or give the sanguinary priest the, his teeth of Terra? I don't know. You got a very specific set, I'm sure. So, what's your character loadout? Absolutely. So um, we can start with the sanguinary ancient. It's almost an auto include to include that relic banner. It gives you two-inch uh, movement on all of your jump pack um, units out there, which is fantastic, moving them up 14 inches with fly and infantry. Those guys can get pretty pretty much anywhere pretty quick. I also included Soul Warden on him um, just for that psychic defense. Uh, it gives you that five-up feel no pain against mortals specifically, which um, especially with no Deny the Witch or any psychic side on uh, my stuff here. Um, it was very needed as that just little bit extra line of defense there, which is fantastic against any of the bombers that are in the meta um, or any of the out-of-line-of-sight psychic nonsense that's coming from Eldar or anything like that. The secondary priest um, gave him rights of war just to be able to place him somewhere um, pretty important, make sure I lock down these objectives. I felt that any time that my sanguinary priest is going to be near an objective, he's going to be surrounded by either death company or sanguinary uh, guard there. So anything that they touch is pretty much going to be destroyed. Um, and I'm going to have multiple models on that objective there. So just having that rights of war was fantastic just to make sure I claim that objective. Um, I've tried playing around with uh, the death visage, I believe it is, to remove OPSEC from models, uh, but found that not spending the CPP on it was probably the right choice here. I've also used Lamarte's, which is fantastic. Um, I know he only works with Death Company units specifically, um, but being able to up that charge um, bonus to a plus two instead of a plus one is fantastic. Plus those rerolls to hit and himself being a beat stick with uh, uh, his litany there is a fantastic, just kind of guarantee those charge um, and guarantee those hits go through with the Death Company. 
Um, and I found that to be making part of my army pretty consistent, which was fantastic. Um, and then Commander Dante, Dante just giving out those chapter master rerolls there, um, allowing me to reroll ones. I'm a sanguinary uh, guard, which was fantastic. Um, and basically, it was just about making my my death ball as tanky as possible with all those characters and then buffing them with as much as I could fit in with those four characters there. You kind of referred to it as a death ball right there. Do you move the army like it's one giant unit that, of, of just sanguinary death company death around the table? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of death. death. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's um, generally what I tried to do, especially on uh, the early turns there is I'm moving out in force. Once I move out, um, I try to hold back on turn one and turn two, but once I move out, I'm moving out with all four characters and that death ball there to make sure that all the buffs are kind of overlapping there. It's fantastic that they all move and can reach everything within a six inch aura there. Um, and it just makes it so that when I hit, I hit pretty hard and can almost break an army off of that initial hit there. So if your opponent starts to engage in that trade where we talked about with the scouts or with the storm mm-hmm. or whatever, and they throw something out there to midfield, do you countercharge it with like a unit of sanguinary guard or do you countercharge it with your entire army? Um, if we're playing out that trade war, um, I got a friend that plays uh, sisters uh, pretty well and goes right into that trade war with me all the time. Um, usually I start just trading death company at that point, because if I'm going to get free, uh, points with killing something with the death company and then i get traded out by them dying next turn it just works right into the game plan there gotcha so you don't mind losing the death company they're kind of your expendable tradey resources but you're saying when regard are really the death ball itself yep absolutely they they come in and kind of be that last punch there to break everything out cool cool i like it so let's talk secondary time what do you take with this army so i'm either almost always taking a relentless assault or shock um Shock tactics there. Uh, Relentless really? assault is absolutely um, having that score four points a turn is pretty nice. And uh, in those kind of games where relentless assault, which means I need to be in your deployment score, uh, zone to score some four points there. Um, in some matchups, it's not great. Uh, so kind of flipping between the two of those secondaries is uh, a great choice for this list here. Then it's almost auto include of uh, Fury of the Lost for all the death company that I'm taking. And then I'm usually taking banners or retrieve Nephilim data. Uh, I think in all five games I took banners just because I can plop those down on my home objectives there or the easy objectives I can get to and then push across the board without having to worry about scoring more points that way. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. The Relentless Assault and the Fury of the Lost really forced that aggression at some point from your side of the field. Did you ever feel like not taking those choices because uh, you didn't want to have to be the aggressor in the game? Or did you just accept your fate with that? Um, I guess with Blood Angels, you got to accept your fate that you are going to be following those ABCs, right? Always be charging. Always be um, charging. So, Heck yeah. <laughs> so you're going to be being aggressive and you're going to be the aggressor in almost, I would say, 90% of your game. So you got to accept that as your fate and start going on turn two there. And usually that worked out well for me. I didn't have too much of an issue against some of the armies. And I played some pretty scary uh, Tyranid armies that we'll get into and some other armies that were uh, trying to reduce my aggressiveness there pretty quickly. Man, Casey, I got to ask, one Eldar player to another, since you said you mm-hmm. play Eldar typically, how do you go from playing hide-in-the-corner elves to Blood Angels? Um, because when I was playing that hide-in-the-corner uh, hide elves, it made me realize that I really want to be more aggressive in charging things at that point. 
Oh, so you just didn't like it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. You know, I got a little bit of a thirst to get on out there and see what's up. Paul, this isn't about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I can empathize. Secondary plays. Was that ever like really, did you ever mess around with that? Or was it pretty much tried and true? You just did that plan on repeat over and over again. Um, I played around with um, almost every secondary um, and a lot of practice games beforehand. Um, but again, it just kind of comes down to, this is what my list was kind of built for. I'm going to kind of hit my opponent over the head with it over and over again until they, uh, concede at that point. So I guess when you're playing an army like blood angels, you don't really have much option in how you approach the game. You really need to just be very astute in your tactical execution of charges. I'm sure your pylons, your consolidates, your order of operations there. And that's, that's kind of difficult to discuss over a medium like a podcast. But I think that's really the part of the nitty-gritty that we're missing in this show. What are the opportunities for attack and things you look watch out for in the assault phase if you could try to help articulate that a bit? Absolutely. So um with any of my charges, I uh really try to make them as consistent as possible. Uh plus one to charge or plus two to charge is fantastic. But I can't tell you how many times I've had a five inch charge and rolled double ones twice with that reroll. Um, what's your so, acceptability of risk on these? You know, that's the real <laughs> question, right? Like, are you going to trust yeah, that five? <laughs> so I used to buy a lot of Novoff Necron so that, uh, eight inch charge off of a veil of darkness, uh, know that it's about like a 65%, uh, chance of success at that point. And I can tell you from my rolls, it was never close to that 65%. Oh no. I used um, to do eight inch rerolls when I played at works back in the day. They 65 my butt. I thought things less than 50, 50. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Um, and especially with an army like this, where you need to be consistent with those charges. And then if you don't make your charges, you're not winning a game. I usually try to get in that seven to six inch range is where I feel really confident about it. Um, and if I need to make a longer charge than that, I hope and pray that uh, the dice are not going to be against me this game. When you send your units in, are you typically looking to like wrap and trap things in close combat? Is it matchup dependent maybe? Or are you really just trying to hit stuff, kill stuff, move on to the next? Yep, hit stuff, kill stuff, uh, move on to the next, and get a. You can get a lot of extra movement um, with those consolidate and pylons there, especially with the death company. You get that extra three through the Marques uh, aura there, uh, so you can do a lot of extra movement and getting to that next unit uh, before they're even dead at that point. Yep. Before we go into the command point stuff, I do want to ask you a little bit about terrain and and how pivotal do you think the terrain format for the event is aligned with your success with the army. Absolutely. So we played on the uh, the GW Open Train, um, which is just fantastic for any Blood Angels army here. Having a big 12 by 12 block where you can drop your entire army, get cover for everything, um, and then just be, be behind a big line of sight blocking wall, and then be able to send units over there um, at a 14-inch move and moving through uh, ruin walls that's a breachable. Uh, that is why I chose this army in this event. It's just something that is very hard to stop. Um, as, and once you get going, it's very hard to stop the opponent there. Uh, and have you played in like a player place terrain in, environment or, you know, some other term terrain format? Uh, what was it about the, is it the obscuring terrain again? What are you looking for? And did you know that going into it and, and did that, whatever the, the format was affect your list? I know I asked two questions there. One, how do you deal with player place terrain? And then we'll get to the second one. <laughs> yep. So I played um, at a lot of the FLG events this year. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with a lot of the player place terrain. 
Um, those seem, uh, for me, uh, work really well for Eldar. Um, you can definitely set it up to be something where it is fantastic for melee armies. Uh, just being able to set this off um, uh, terrain just outside objectives there to be able to then charge from them um, is a great way to kind of play the Blood Angels list as well. But I knew that we uh, were playing the GW train uh, going into this event. So I uh, tailored my list specifically for it. Were you concerned at all about the GW format on the Dawn of War style setups where they have their layout one? Um, can you repeat that real quick? Yeah, the GW format has two different layouts. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. use this or not. The, the normal style with the four ruins in the corners and then two in the middle. And then layout one is for Dawn of War. It's the alternative where they have the, the four ruins like one, two in each zone, and the middle is this wide open killing field, so it's very hard to kind of for an assault army to cross that midfield. Was that absolutely a factor for this tournament, or not really? Uh, yep. So the uh, judges um, and TOs for this were uh, pretty uh, fantastic about this. They set up that the missions would be using one train setup, um, the kind of Dawn of War setup that first day. Um, and then the next missions on the second day were all the other format as well. So you kind of knew going in which ones you were going to be playing on first for the first three rounds, and then same for the second day as well. That's just like they do it at GW. That's awesome. Good yep. for the TOs. Yep. Fantastic run event, and um, shout out to all the TOs there. They did a fantastic job at making this run smoothly and effectively at that point. So how and did you next question. play on the... On yeah, the- I was going to say, well, let me get this this terrain question out. Like you mentioned you knew it, and your list was tailored specifically for it, but how would you have changed it up if that was not the factor, or you couldn't, you didn't have that consistency uh, with the tabletop as a known quantity? Um, I probably wouldn't have taken um, as big of a blobs as I did for the, uh, for the sanguinary guard there. Um, I probably would have got a little bit more into shooting um, if we were playing player place terrain there. Um, more just because I knew with the 12 by 12 bricks there, I could fit the majority of my army, um, my death ball, as I've been calling it, um, all behind one ruin there, then put my land speeder storm and my whirlwind on the other one, just to force my opponent to either pick which option that they're going for. Um, and that's kind of why I picked the list as I did right there, is I could fit it all behind that big uh, line of sight blocking wall and just start sending units from there. Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. Let's talk about your command points. I think Paul's got a whole section on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, so I want to talk about what your, your pregame spins were and tell us what those were. And then how many do you start with, start the game with? Absolutely. So I took um, Right to War on my secondary priest. So that was a first priest spend there. And then um, two on my secondary ancient for that relic banner, which gives me that plus two to move for all jump pack units. And then um, Soul Warden for him. So I pre-spent three. Um, Vanguard detachment spent me three as well. And the patrol was free. And uh, Commander Dante actually gives you plus one. So that was allowed me to have that one going into that first turn there. Wow, starting with one. High roller. Yep. Do you ever miss you, wish you had more CP to play the game with? Or how'd you manage them? Um, absolutely wish I had more CP. But um, in Nephilim, it's kind of a CP drought. Um, I wish I could spend a couple more on either that Obtex and I or a couple of the relics as well. But all I really need is that one CP turn one to uh, pregame move those death company up. Um, and that was my game plan there is to either send them all the way up um, turn one, knowing that I got that first turn or kind of sending them halfway up the field in a threatening position behind uh, obscuring terrain there. Yeah, for sure. It's so cool. Or not cool, but it's so funny to see that all the space marine players have all these cool characters and you never see any of them take them because they have. Right, so war and the banner and this and that, and then your army has no 
cool characters, just support pieces. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's uh, one of the things that I've learned uh, throughout playing 40K on a bunch of different armies here is that, um, unfortunately, all the cool characters are have some big minus with them. Uh, so just taking the support characters where you need it to buff up your army is usually the best bet there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good lesson to learn. Um, Unless you're Dante, then you get everything. Unless you're Dante. Yeah. <laughs> Not as so much as some. He needs some. He needs a little more. He needs a little more. Nerd. He just needs a new bottle at this point. Oh, he I needs another CP. Is what he needs. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll deal with the uh, with the. Uh, oh, it's a beautiful, gorgeous model. Uh, the size of the model, but I'd love another CP on there. Yeah, absolutely. People run Dante. You should be happy. Oh yeah, no, it looks great too. And he comes again. Got the axe. Got the. Uh, also, I mean, people have heard us talk about it on other shows, but he has that heroic D stratagem that you get for free. So. Uh, t- Typically, that will be spent on the fight on death. If he ever gets kind of caught out there in the middle of nowhere, he's uh, you know not always going to get kind of uh, caught slipping. So it's really like it gives you quite a few CP. Yeah, it's situational though. What does a blood angel army like this spend its CP on? Um, so in my case, it was a lot of that uh, pregame move for Death Company there. Um, unfortunately, the whirlwind strat is also one CP. Um, so a lot of it was just either spent for the whirlwind that pregame move, or just kind of making sure that uh, I made those charges with those rerolls there. Um, a lot of time, I also found it helpful to take a unit of uh, Sanguinary Guard um, that were just finished killing something on the map somewhere in a corner, and then put them right back into Deep Strike to come back down next turn. Yeah, folks have list- listened to a couple of episodes ago where we also were talking about the Blood Angels. The, the, the Whirlwind has a uh, stratagem that allows you to shoot it and fire it. If you do, you can deny Overwatch. Uh, on that that unit cannot fire overwatch uh, i believe they're also like half charge or something like that but um it has the real big upside benefit of denying overwatch so tagging on things like flamers or whatever uh huge benefit because you're trying to limit trying to make sure you make it into combat with as many models as you possibly can absolutely that's yep. what i was thinking yeah some other the other benefit yeah it's it, glorious as what it is but yeah i mean that that's a choice i mean going in with one command point i mean you get one when your turn starts. So, but you're basically trying to, you're playing the game of you're hovering at one and or zero the entire game. And obviously, you know, the, the results are in what happened, but do you feel like that's enough? If, uh, if you had to cut or do, do, do are you now questioning whether or not you need all those pregame spin that you did? Um, I definitely found all of them to be helpful. Um, especially the five up field of pain against mortals was fantastic. Like said, against those bombers and, uh, add a lot of sight psychic uh, shenanigans there. Um, rights of war didn't come into uh, too much of an issue here because, like I said, anything that that sanguinary priest was getting close to had a big blob of sanguinary guard around it, and it was they were killing pretty much anything they could get in their hands to. Um, so that might be one I take off there, but it was real close. Um, trying to make sure that I stayed that CP, make sure I'm not spending it on random rerolls and stuff like that. I know I would need it for uh, either redeploys, that War One stratagem, or just making sure that I guarantee those charges there. Well, I guess it's the real question, right? Is you have so many things you want to buy before the game even starts, and then you're going to foil and fury. You functionally start with zero. So yep. when you play the games, you have amazing stratagems for situations like even things like the interrupt strat or angel sacrifice, six inch heroic for sanguinary guard, CP mm-hmm. reroll for a very critical charge, you know, all kinds of things. How do you prioritize when to spend a command point? How do you make that decision? Yep. So 
I already know, like you said, that um, pre-spending that uh, pre-game move for the death company there. Uh, so I already know that that's gone off the table. Um, if I can find that my whirlwind is going to be helpful and making something deny Overwatch or fight last there, I spend it. But that's usually only once or twice a game there. Um, then I usually save that CP for the uh, interrupt strat if ever needed, um, as well as that angel, angel of sacrifice or uh, that six inch heroic there. Um, I usually just bank that CP just for those moments there and try to really be disciplined with not spending CP on anything I don't need, especially since I start off with effectively zero there. You also don't have selfless healer as a warlord trait. Do you ever revive a sanguinary guard or a death company? Um, only, only in my last game was it ever useful at that point. Um, and that was just because I had uh, bombers coming across the field and a lot of shooting at me from a Tau army. Um, but past that, I try not to use it um, unless it really makes a difference there. Yeah. Cool. Well, Paul, you have any other questions you want to ask Casey while we got him? No, there's some some uh, yeah, well thought out answers. Really love hearing it. Uh, love seeing it all come together on the tabletop. I, I really like the this newer style of Blood Angel list that does include more Death Company kind of out the gate. One they're cool to see. One of the most you know exciting things about a Blood Angel army is the variance in armor color across the field. I don't know if you paint yours traditionally, but that's one of the cool things built in yeah, baked but- in the army. Yep, I got the uh, Death Company in black and red, and then my Sanguinary Guard are actually white and blue. A little oh, bit of contrast cool. there. Yeah, still same, still same thing. You get to see the variance in how it looks across the table. It uh, you know, helps you identify. I, I like how the list has been built. Take advantage of uh, similar profiles. That is, uh, you know, again, something that it's not always necessarily what you necessarily want to do, but it has other benefits. And, it, it, and you piloted to a high degree of success. Uh, so I, maybe that's it for part one. There we go. Let's say everybody for just joining us here. Uh, this is part one of the two-part conversation. Uh, part two, uh, check us out on the Patreon. You get to hear how we're going to deal with a bunch of specific matchups. If you are concluding your journey right here, thanks for listening. Please do not forget to like, share, and subscribe. Leave us those five-star reviews. That matters so much. That makes my heart you know, grow two sizes. You want to make your heart grow two sizes. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you all soon. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. <laughs>